Please turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We're going to continue our series on the book of Philippians. Uh, I just want to start with a, um, just a, uh, an illustration. It's uh, in a lot of the, in World War II, in the concentration camps that the Nazis had established, they would put a banner across the camp when the people would come in. And forgive my German, but it says, All that's mocked free, which means... Uh, work equals freedom right so the idea is you come in here you work hard you earn your freedom and then after a certain period of time we'll let you go and that was at uh, a lot of the concentration camps that would be across the top of course that's a lie right no matter how hard you worked in there no matter what you did uh, there was an eventual outcome to a lot of people that went into those concentration camps this is also the lie of our generation. This is the lie of the world. The lie is, look, all you got to do is just work really hard. You work really hard, you be a really good person, and at the end of time, when you stand before God, there'll be this big scale. And as long as your good things outweigh your bad things, uh, you'll be okay. You'll, he'll, he'll let you into heaven as long as you're just overall generally a good person. Just work hard at being a good person. That's the lie of this world. This, today we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3 and we're going to see how Paul addresses that issue, that that is a lie. And I believe that there's probably some people sitting in this room that have bought into that lie because you're tired, you're exhausted. I, emotionally, physically, spiritually, you, just, you work so hard to just try to be a good person. You work, you work so hard, you just try so hard and you keep stumbling, you keep failing, you keep going back into the sin that you struggle with and you're like, you know, I'm just exhausted. I want, to, I want to talk about some freedom today. We're going to talk about this idea of, of what God has for us and why that is not true. Let's pray. Lord, I pray this morning, and we just remember Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For, Lord, it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. It's not our own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works. No one in this room is going to be going to heaven and boasting. Lord, it's by faith that we put in you and you alone. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that we will be able to take what is the Word of God that you have this morning, we'll be able to take that and apply it to our lives, that we will understand its weight and its importance. And, Lord, that this will not just be an average Sunday, an everyday message, Lord, that this will be something where someone could take it, apply it, and change their life forever. And, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're going to talk about circles. There's really, there's really two circles when you talk about salvation and you talk about Jesus and the world and works. There's, one, there's two circles. There's the works circle, and then there's the Jesus circle. And they're not close enough where you can stand in both at the same time. We're going to look at that. But I want you to look at Philippians uh, chapter 3. We're going to start with verse 1, the inside circle and the outside circle. It says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. In other words, when he was there earlier as the church planner, he had taught them these things, and now he's writing them to remind them to, he's doing it again. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. 
And so Paul earlier in the book has given three examples of, of godly men, of examples of what it means to be faithful in, the ser- in service to God. And so he, of course, starts with Jesus, and he talks about how Jesus emptied himself out, how he didn't consider uh, equal worth with God to be something to held on to. He let it go, and he humbled himself, he put on human flesh, and he came to this earth. The next uh, example that he gave was Timothy, right? Timothy was the young man that served beside Paul, and he talked about how he, his son in the faith, and how when he comes to you, he will have the same mind, and we're going to be unified in, in these things that I have taught you. He's going to be telling you the same things. And the third was Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was the man that brought the offering from the Philippian church to Paul, uh, and then in that act of serving him he almost died and we talked about how for Paul that would have been sorrow upon sorrow and it would have just wrecked his world and he's glad that Epaphroditus was able to go back home so he had presented these three examples now he transitions into three bad examples so you have three good examples and now three bad examples he calls them the dogs the evildoers and the mutilators now these groups that the church is to watch out for were 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 posing as Christian teachers. They placed emphasis on belonging to the Jewish faith. So these were Jewish people that said they had put their faith in Christ and were now following Jesus, but their teachings were very dangerous. They heaped scorn upon these outside of the Jewish family, right? These are these false teachers that are calling anyone that's outside of the Jewish circle that has now put their faith in Christ, these, they called them dogs, evildoers. These were prejudiced words these were heavy words these were you know you call somebody a dog in that time that's that's something very significant you call them an evildoer that means something and so he's warning about these false teachers dogs during this time we're going to look at kind of two cultural differences really first one deals with dogs uh, if you have a dog we have a dog typically the dog is very important to our families right we love our dogs they, uh, they sit beside us on the couch. They sometimes sleep in the bed with us. Not, you know, whatever. That gets on my nerves. But anyway, so they, they're very, you, some people actually have uh, portraits painted of their dogs up on the wall of their house, right? Dogs are very important to us in our culture. Not true in this culture, right? This is one of those things where in ancient times, in this time, uh, to call someone a dog is, is uh, bad, right? And so the idea is that dogs were despised in the culture because they would scavenge around. They were scavengers, and they would eat whatever they would find. So they would eat uh, corpses. They would eat dead animals. They would eat gross stuff. They would, uh, there's a passage where it talks about how a dog returns to its vomit, right? It's just, it's just, they were gross. They were considered nasty animals that you didn't, that you didn't want to have anything to do with. So, they, so the Jewish people looked at those that were not Jewish as dogs because basically they would eat anything, right? So you, as a, as a Gentile, you ate all kinds of things. They did not follow the ceremonial food law of the, of the, of the Jewish people, and so they called them dogs. Now imagine one group of believers calling another group of believers this pejorative, awful name, right? Just a bunch of dogs. So it was, that was not good. And so uh, they were outside the circle of God's holy people. That at least that's how they felt. And so Paul is wanting to show who is on the true inside circle and who is truly on the outside circle. Both of these ways of thinking are not correct. Right? So he's like, there's a whole group of people that are this dangerous teaching they're bringing with them. 
Paul says you've got to watch out for these dogs. Right? He's intentionally giving them a, a name that they would call other groups of people. Right? So Paul uses their own terms against them. They are evildoers who put their confidence in what they do, what they eat, the, the ceremonies they follow, the food laws that they follow. If they're confident in keeping the law as a means of being made right with God, then there's no need for Jesus. Right? So they are self-reliant. They're self-righteous. They have no need to be saved. They have no need for a Savior. Just keep the law. Just keep the law. Just eat the right food. Follow the ceremonies. Do what the, do what the, the law says. You'll be fine. And the irony is that in thinking they are righteous, in their own efforts, they become evildoers. And so now we move on to this second word. So he's calling them dogs, and he's calling them evildoers. There's these, the Jewish people thought, we are God's chosen people, we have the law, we will follow the law, and those that don't, on the outside, they are evildoers. We're the, we're the good people, they're the evil people, they're the evildoers. Paul is calling them evildoers again he's using their own words against them he's saying watch out for the dogs and watch out for the evildoers because the evil comes in of thinking that they can be righteous by just following the law look in Romans chapter 2 verse 28 for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly and so now we're going to we're going to move on to this idea of being the mutilated the mutilators watch out for them okay so he says for one, no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. So if you have had a circumcision, that's an outward expression. That's an outward thing that has happened. Nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. And so someone who just simply... Uh, is circumcised but they have no desire to follow God all they've done is Paul saying they've just mutilated themselves that's all they've done there's no there's no attachment there's no spiritual thing there that's going on they've just simply following the law there's no inward heart change we use baptism for an example right so if you see someone that just says I would like to get baptized okay fine because why you want to get baptized well I just I just want to get baptized well have you prayed to receive Christ what does that mean? No, I don't think I've done that. Right? So if someone who is not saved gets baptized, all they've done is gotten wet. Right? There's no spiritual significance of baptism. All they've done is gotten wet. Baptism is an expression of what's happened within the heart. I prayed to receive Christ. He's changed my heart. And as a, a way to express that outwardly, I'm going to be baptized. Same is true for the Jewish people with the law and circumcision. Right? God has... is a, on the eighth day they would be circumcised and things like that but the idea is that the heart inwardly is to follow God the one true God and then that's expressed outwardly by being a part of his people so for the Jewish people they were so confident that they called themselves the circumcised we're the circumcised you're not you're the out group we're the in group and this outward act was made for them or made that's what made them God's people and Paul says no what makes people a follower of God is not some act that you've done on the outside just like we would say baptism is the same just because you got baptized does not mean that you were a follower of Christ that's just an outward expression and so if someone's been circumcised again that's just an outward expression their identity in Christ gives them the right to be called God's people so there's two groups here. There's this group that believes that you are a follower of God by what you do on the outside. 
Paul is saying, no, it's not what you do on the outside. It's what God has done on the inside in your heart. It's a question of confidence. Where does your confidence for your right standing before God come from? If you were to go to heaven right this instant, and you were to stand before God, and he would say, why should I let you into my heaven? How would you answer that question? If your immediate go-to quest or answer is, well, hey, look, I've gone to church my whole life. I grew up in the church. Uh, I taught Sunday school for 25 years, right? I went on a mission trip here. I did this, and I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this. Guess what circle you're standing in? You're not standing in the Jesus circle. You're standing in the, in the, the evildoers, the dogs, and the mutilators circle. That's the circle you're standing in. You are in the circle with the worst horrific people in your brain that you can think of, right? Murderers, rapists, any, any of those groups, that's the circle that you're standing in. If your go-to answer is, why should I let you into heaven? And you say, because at the end of the day, I'm a decent person, I'm a good person. My good things outweigh my bad things, so I think I'm okay. I'm a good person. That's the danger, right? This is the danger that Paul is teaching on. Instead, they worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, it says. Worship is an inward display of faith that expresses itself outwardly. We come to worship. We worship God. We don't just worship Him on Sunday. We worship Him all the time. We worship God. It's an outward expression of what God's done in our heart. So we worship if you only consider what happens on the outside, then you are an evildoer. By only focusing on the outside, they were just like the pagans around them who wanted to gain God's favor by mutilating themselves. And this is what Paul is saying. Watch out for the mutilators. These are things that, things that you've done, your outward body, that they, you say, this is what I have done so that God will love me. These are my actions. Look, uh, you may remember the, the story of 1 Kings chapter 8. This is Elijah on Mount Carmel. I mean, and, and so he's, he's come against the prophets of Baal and, and the prophet, and he's, they had this little showdown, and so they built two altars, and the prophets of Baal came out, and they, and they danced around, and they screamed, and what else did they do? Do you remember? Let's look. Let's just look real quick. At noon, Elijah mocked them, because again, they'd be dancing around for a while, and nothing's happened. Cry aloud, for he is God. Either he's musing or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep, and it must be awakened. Yell louder. It's just, do, you know, put more effort into it. And they cried aloud, and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed. And, and at midday, they, it passed. They raved on until the time of his offering of the oblation. And there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. That's our culture today, right? Those are people that try to be so religious. They're dancing around and they're yelling loud. And they're like, look at me. Look how much I'm serving you. Can't you see what I'm doing for you? Look, 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 look. God loves me. How do I know? Because of all my stuff I've done. Look at, and there's just, just effort after effort upon effort. And there's like, look at all I'm doing for you. And there's silence. No one's paying attention because they're, on the wrong, they're in the wrong circle. If your confidence to stand before God is, 
you saying I'm a good person, I've grown up in the church and all these different things, then you are in serious trouble. Do you understand that? There's a line of salvation. And you don't get across the line of salvation by being a good person. Then Paul says, if it's about doing good things and following the law, then look what I have done. Right? So Paul's like, look, it's not about this, but just in case you, I want to explain it to you, I want, you to, I want to tell you about my life. I want to tell you about what I've done. Look what he says in verse 4. Though, although I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, in other words, if it's all about doing stuff, if anyone has confidence, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. If anyone should have confidence in how they have followed the law, even to the point of hunting down humans, Christians, right? Hunting down these Christians, he surpassed them all. And, 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 he, and he wins the argument, right? He's saying, look, if you were good, man, I am really good. Paul's entire life before his conversion on the road to Damascus was centered around his pursuit of the law. He was in the upper council. He was moving his way up to the top. He was at the top of, of anything that you could possibly do, even to the point of hunting, hunting down Christians and putting them in jail and killing them. But look at how he views all of that time, all that effort, all that work that went into being a good person. Verse 7, but whatever gain I have, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. I want you, if, you have, if you're taking notes, I want you to circle all the times Paul references Jesus or Christ in just these five verses. But whatever gain I have, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake, who's his? Christ's sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and he be found in him. Who? Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him. Who? Christ in the power of his resurrection Christ and may share his Christ sufferings because like him Christ in his Christ's death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead according to Paul in this in these few verses where does salvation come from Christ it is Christ not effort not stuff not being good our salvation comes through Christ he uses financial gains of gain and loss, right, to explain this. Before Jesus, his investment was huge, right? His entire life was pouring, investing, pouring into this, to this circle of self-righteousness, right? Work, 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 work. I mean, it's piling up. All these years of faithful service, all these things that he's invested in his life. He's, he's served and he's worked so hard. He's gone to this school and he's done all of these things. He's worked, 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 worked. And his pile is huge. Right? So before Jesus, his investment was going to church. He was following the festivals and the ceremonies. He was there for Mother's Day. Right? He was memorizing scripture. He's serving on various councils and committees. He was a Pharisee. There was a stockpile of gain. Everything, 
all added up in his confidence was huge until he met Jesus. And when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and he turned around and looked at that huge pile, he said, it's all garbage. It's trash. It's of no worth at all. You can't have both. Your righteousness and Jesus' righteousness, but you can't have both. You have to choose. You can have your righteousness from being trying to be a good person, or you could put your faith in Christ, but you can't have confidence in both for your righteousness, for your right standing before God. Let's say you need to get home from the airport. All right, so you've gone on a trip, now you're at the airport. And you're like, I need to get home from the airport. All right, and so you call your good friend, let's just say Joe, right, Joe. Joe's going to come pick you up at the airport. All right, Joe goes. All right, and then you, after you get off the phone with Joe, you start thinking, I'm not really confident that Joe's going to pick me up at the airport. So I'm going to also get my friend Billy to come and pick me up at the airport as well. So you get on the phone and you call Billy. And Billy and Joe arrive at the airport at the exact same time to take you home from the airport. Can you get in both cars at the same time? No. You've got to pick. This car or this car is getting me home. Which one are you going to believe is going to get you home? This car or this car? You've got to pick. You have to choose. The, the, the choice is... I'm going to be a good moral person. God's going to love me because of all the things and good things that I have done. I am a good moral person. He will let me into heaven because of the good things that I have done. That's your first choice. That's the first car you could get in. The second car is Jesus Christ and him alone. Putting my faith in him. My faith is getting in the car. All right, I'm going to, he, is a, he is what's going to get me home. You've got to make a choice. You can't choose both. So, it's like a scale, and all of our actions are piled up one by the other. And, uh, and the, uh, one is our stuff, one is Jesus. You compare the two, the righteousness is not enough to make us right with God. No matter how hard you work, it's still not going to be enough. Isaiah 64, 6. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Right? Before God, when you take this stockpile of stuff, right, you're going to carry it all with you to heaven somehow, right? And you're going, to put it, you're going to put it right before God, and he's going to say, why should I let you into my heaven? And you do this, and you go, ta-da! Everything you have done, all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. In the context of this passage, it's the idea of a leper. Right, and the leper's got all these gross sores on them, and so they wrap their body up in these things. And then when, after the end of the day, you've got to switch out the bandages, they unroll them, and they hang them on a tree, let them air dry. It's gross, right? You want to go grab that cloth and put it back on? No, it's a polluted garment. It's gross. So when we stand before God and we go, ta-da! That's how God sees our good stuff, like a polluted garment. By placing our faith in, by, in Christ, having right standing before God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. 
And when we do this, look what it says. We know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, become like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection of the dead. How am I going to be resurrected and to go into eternity? How am I going to have a relationship with God? How am I, all of these things, it's through faith in Christ. We, have, we are able to have power over sin and death to join Christ in the second advent when he comes at the end of time. And by our faith in Christ, and what we gain by faith in ourselves is garbage. And so you could pick the two circles, garbage or Christ and the resurrection and eternal life, but you have to pick, you have to choose. So now we're going to live inside the right circle. Look at verse 12. So now we've made a choice. Hopefully we're in the right circle, but now we've got to live there. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join me, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. The dogs, the evildoers, the mutilators are teaching that you can be spiritually perfect by following a moral law and adding Jesus to it, right? We're going to keep the law, we're going to be a good person, we're going to do this, and we're also going to add Jesus to it plus being a good person, right, it equals perfection. Jesus plus being a good person equals perfection. Wrong. Paul says that in Christ, he has come to realize that a, as a sinful man, he has a long way to go. He's, apostle, he's an apostle, right? He's all, he's, he's, but he says, when, you, when I look at my life, I have a long way to go. And so I have to strain forward. And to strain is to take an effort to the uttermost, Right? You have maxed out. You have, you have fought hard. You are running as fast as you can. Paul knows that the, his passionate intention to know Christ does not make it itself perfect. Right? I started with putting my faith in Christ. I'm going to follow him. But that does not mean that that's it, that you're done. Right? Some people say, well, how, what are you doing for Jesus? Or how, what's your relationship like with him? And they reference some point way back in their life when they were a kid, right? So how, what's your relationship like with Jesus? Well, you know, wh when I was 12 years old, I went to this camp and, and I... See the problem with that? It's like way back in the past. Paul's like, no. It's a everyday effort to strive and push. Discipline, daily discipline to press toward the goal the the authenticity of faith in christ cannot be measured only in the intensity of your decision when you receive christ right which how how faithful are you well way back it's not about way back it's about what did you do or how are you pursuing christ today and yesterday and the day before it's a lifelong adventure that we pursue christ it's not the decision we made in the past and now we maintain it it's a passionate journey with him. There's two things that Paul mentioned that gets us off the track, gets us out of the journey with Christ. The first one that Paul mentions is, is to look back, right? To look back. 
Paul says, forget what lies behind. Forget what lies behind. Your right standing with God has nothing to do with what you did in the past. It doesn't matter. Your focus is on Christ, not your past. Paul stood uh, and held the coats for those who stoned the, the martyr Stephen. He literally stood there and watched and was a part of a killing of a man, a Christian. Paul, in his entire journey, was persecuting the church. Paul says, forget what lies behind. What you have done in the past, you ask Christ to forgive you, and you forget and you move on. If you simply sit in the past and you hold on and you, and you just mellow in that, you've stopped the journey. You've stopped striving for Christ. The other reason that people stop striving is because they feel they've already arrived. They've already arrived. There's no need to try. You're already perfect. When asked if they love Jesus, they would say, oh yes, look at all these things I'm doing for him. And they would even say, yes, look at all these things I'm doing for him right now. But when was the last time that you were truly broken over your sin? Paul, as the apostle says, I have a long way to go. And he is broken over his sin. When was the last time you were broken over your sin? When is the last time you wrestled with God's word and it truly, like, impacted you? When is the last time you spent time with Christ only to realize how much further you have yet to go? When was the last time that that happened? If it hasn't happened recently, you've gotten off the journey with Christ. Because we should have a daily realization of like, man, I have so far to go. i got to stick close with Christ because if I'm going to make it through today and I want to accomplish the things that God has for me, i got to be right there. He's got to be with me. Not that I have already obtained or that I am perfect. Right, Paul says. Here's the big idea I want you to remember. In your daily activities, when you get up and when you brush your teeth and all the other stuff, there should also be a striving, a stretching, a straining toward Christ. A, a, an uttermost effort, a maxing out. Lord, don't quit because of your past and don't quit and don't be self-righteous. Right? That, that, that's the two, the two things that Paul gives us. In verse 18, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears... Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things. Underline that. With minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And for it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even be subject to all things to himself. The temptation is to simply drop out of the race to enjoy life. Right? I worked hard, I've been saving all this time, and, and now it's time for me to drop out of the race. I'm just going to kind of sit back and just coast for a little bit. At that moment, you have set your mind on earthly things. Do you know how many people in our community need to hear about Christ? Do you know how, how many people are, are, are a part of, of, of their families just cr crumbling and falling apart? They need to hear about Christ. We've got to have our ministries that are constantly going, constantly reaching out. And if we just say, you know what, I'm just going to kind of chill. I've kind of done my time. And you have switched to putting your minds on earthly things. 
Paul says, to strain toward what is ahead. Verse 18, Paul says, through tears, he now mentions those that now walk as enemies of the cross. There was a path that they were following. They were all in it together. And then suddenly there was a fork in the road. And, the, and these people that were with them, they, it just, it just, they just forked off. They turned. They made a turn. And instead of focusing on Jesus, they started focusing on themselves. And they turned. And it gives an example. He says, their God is their belly and their glory is their shame. Remember we th- when we talked about dogs don't really mean the exact same thing in our two cultures? The belly doesn't mean the same thing in our two cultures either. We think of belly, we think, oh, you're talking about going and like going to some kind of buffet and just like, you know, going crazy and that's all about food and that's, that's not what he's talking about. In that culture, in the ancient culture, the belly was the seat of desire. Right, so if you're talking about your passions and the things that you pursue, it's your belly. That's what the, how they would kind of reference it. And so basically, Paul is saying is that there are things of this earth that are desirable. And when anyone pursues those things, they've made those desires their, their focus, and that's their belly, right? They're, they're seeking to fulfill those desires. That's become the focus. That's become the main thing. Not Jesus. Jesus is now out of the picture. They started following Christ, but then it was like, oh, you know what? This show would be fun. Why don't we go do this? And they, and they turn, and they go away from Christ. And they put, they put their own earthly, selfish desires first before anything else. They're focused on their bodily cravings. Their minds are set on earthly things. And then verse 20, Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Earthly-minded and heavenly minded these are kind of the two mindsets that we have to struggle against every day am I focused on myself am I focused on my own earthly desires or am I putting Christ first and pursuing what he has called upon my life to do today I'm striving to do what he's called me to do today seek after Christ strive to hold on to him with all that you have I want to conclude with a with an illustration when I would go to my mom's my grandmother's house they lived we were neighbors my growing up and so I would oftentimes go to her house and just hang out like clockwork there were a couple of movies that would come on because back then we had three channels CBS NBC and NBC NBC right so you had those three those were, the, those were the only three channels so on those three channels there would be this yearly like repetition of movies uh, the Sound of Music, I can't t- tell you how many times I have seen The Sound of Music. Go to Grandma's house, we'd be watching The Sound of Music. Also, it would be The Wizard of Oz, right? So The Wizard of Oz would come on, and we would watch Wizard of Oz every, every time it came on, but it came on at least once a year. So, I, y'all, I have seen Wizard of Oz a lot of times. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you a phrase, and I want you to tell me who said it. Okay, you ready? All right. If I only had a brain, the scarecrow doesn't believe he's smart because he doesn't have a piece of paper that tells him he's smart. However, he is the mastermind of the journey of Oz, right? He's the one that helps to rescue Dorothy, providing that or proving that he had a brain. Here's the second one. You ready? If I only had courage cowardly lion right he's afraid even though his species is supposed to be bold and courageous fearless and he learns that he can overcome his fear when he cares more about other people about Dorothy than himself 
He finds meaning and purpose in helping him to gain courage. Here's your next one. If I only had a heart. Tin man, right? The tin man is sad because he's hollowed. He doesn't have a heart. And his compassion uh, came for his companions on the journey. And he showed that he had love, that he could be loved. It didn't matter that he was made a little bit differently, right, than everyone else. Here's the, last, here's the next one. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Dorothy, right? Dorothy learns that she had a power inside her all along. She could have gone back home her entire time. She had the power and strength within her all along. She just had to believe in herself. The wizard will know what to do, right? The powerful wizard. Dorothy, the tin man, cowardly lion, and the scarecrow believe that there's this powerful being who's out there who's able to solve all of their problems. And so they finally get to Emerald City and they pull back the, the screen. And sure enough, that powerful thing wasn't any, it was nothing to him. He's just a man. He's not all powerful after all. But who did have the power? They did. They had, and they could save themselves. See the problem with the Wizard of Oz? That's our culture. I can't tell you how many times I've sat there and watched that movie and never put those two things together. All you got to do is believe in yourself. All you got to do is just fi- follow the yellow brick road, work, just work, 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 and eventually you'll get to Emerald City. God's not all that powerful anyway. You could be your own God. You could just do it yourself. Just All you just got to do is be a good person. That's the danger. That's the lie that our culture tells us. Right, this is the lie that we see. I know some of you are going to have a different interpretation, but that's okay. We'll talk later. Uh, but this is the story of the dogs, the evildoers, and the mutilators that they tell. This is their favorite story that they tell, that you can do it. The power is to save yourself. It's all within you. But from what Paul has told us today, is that true? No, it's not true. It's, that's the lie of this world. You need to be able to see it and recognize it when it pops up in our culture. You need to be able to take God's word and say, this is what God's word says and this is what I'm seeing. They don't match up. The only way that we can be saved and be made right with God is through our faith in Jesus Christ. Why else would he have died on the cross? Why else go through all of that if all we have to do is just be a good person? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I pray that you will help us to be able to see where we are trying to earn salvation, even when we're blind to it. Lord, we're trying to earn your love. But Lord, your word tells us again and again that you, that you can't love us anymore. You can't love us any less. And it's not based on anything that we've done that you love us. It's based on what Christ did on the cross. But Lord, we keep trying. We keep, we keep falling into that circle. Lord, help us to see when we do that. Lord, I believe there's maybe someone in this room who's never put their faith and trust in you. And when I asked the question, how do you, why should God let you into heaven, you gave, they gave a works answer. They talked about how good they are and different things. They did not say because I put my faith in Jesus Christ and he died on the cross for me. And friend, if that's you and you want to be sure that you have made this decision, you could say a prayer something like this. Dear Jesus, I admit to you right now that I am a sinner. And I have tried to live this world and live this life on my own. Will you please forgive me for my sin? 
I received this gift of eternal life. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe what the Bible says. And I turn from my sin. I repent. I turn. I want to follow you the rest of my life. If you said a prayer, something like that, you're going to have some opportunities to let me know. I want you to come to the front. We call it the invitation. You can write it on a card on the back of the pew, hand it to me on your way out. You can shoot me an email, whatever you want to do. Just let me know you've made this decision so we can talk. Lord, I also believe that there may be some Christians in this room because Paul says, I've already told you this, but I'm going to tell you this again. Lord, this is a fundamental, foundational teaching but Lord, we are so tempted to follow the ways of this world and we, and we start trying to earn your favor. We tr start trying to earn your love. And Lord, we're exhausted and tired. It just, it's just exhausting. Lord, forgive us for when we do that. And Lord, I pray this morning during our time of invitation that people will be made right with you, that their hearts will be made right so that when we leave, we could say, I have followed Christ. I am striving for him with all that I am. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.